wherever you're listening from, we pray this message inspires you to love strong, shine bright, and live free. Would you put your hands together for my dad, uh, Paul Smith. Thanks, man. Amen. Good to be with you. Back in the mothership. And um, I must just say, it's great to be here, but that was a great weekend with Alistair and Honiana and the team. We had a fabulous time. And since then, we've been making a point of getting out on the streets. We have coffee in community now and uh, just having the opportunity to pray for people. What a great privilege it is, isn't it, to pray for people and tell them that God loves them. And I don't know if you, I'll just say a couple of things about this before I bring this message, but there's a, a guy on there, he had a yellow shirt sitting in a lounge and he had a red jacket on. I was telling someone yesterday, he was told that he wouldn't live past last Christmas, had lymphomatic cancer, got to his brain, he was blacking out, lost his driving license, doctors told him that's it, prepare yourself, get your stuff in order. Um, and some people prayed for him, and he, came, he walked into our church about nine months ago, recommitted his life to the Lord. He'd been away for ten years from the Lord. Served God for years, got preoccupied and distracted, and lost his way, came back, was stricken with this illness, and God's just touching his life, and he is on fire for God. So he and I go out on a Friday, and others do as well, just a day to day, and he's he signs up for everything. He, he's preaching this morning at our church, so I want us just to take a minute to pray for David. And God's his preaching or his preaching this morning. He's preaching on um, what's it called? He's preaching on fire anyway. <laughs> God's just touched him so powerfully. And the doctors, he, he got his driver's license back just a couple of months ago after 18 months. They, they gave him a two and a half hour driving test to make sure that he was, you know, paying attention. And he believes God's healed him. But he said, in any case, whatever I've got left, I'm going to live it for Jesus. What a great attitude, eh? Well, you would do that, wouldn't you, if you were facing... I mean, can I ask you the question, if you had only a few months to live, what would you do with what you had left? Well, you might have a whole life left by the grace of God. So what are you going to do with it? Amen. So Lord, I pray for David this morning as he preaches. I ask, oh God, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be so powerfully upon him. He'll know what he is born for. Lord, I pray that you'll anoint him so that his words would have fire and impact. And Lord, I thank you for him. What a blessing he is in Jesus' name. Amen. And I know the church there send their love and their prayers. And they're praying for you this morning. <laughs> that God would touch you. So we pray for that. I want to... Um, does it come up? Hey! I've got this message been burning on my heart. Marks of a giant killer. Marks of a giant killer. If I were to ask you this morning, any giant killers in the house, some would say, yeah, me, because those people are like that, aren't they? They're just out there, I'm a giant killer. And then there are others who just think, who, who me? I want to give you a scripture right at the beginning, and we'll come back to it later on. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And God meets a man called Gideon on the threshing floor, and Gideon was one of those people who had a terrible inferiority complex. He was the least of his tribe. He didn't feel he was very important. 
And an angel appears to him and says, God is with you, you mighty warrior. (laughs) And Gideon says, but, first word out of his mouth, but, who me? And I heard you singing a song this morning. You are who God says you are. Was that the line in the verse? I heard you sing it. Do you believe it? You believe it? (laughs) You are who you say you are. And so the thing is, here's the point of that verse. When God is with you, you are who you say you are, God says you are. So Gideon was not a giant killer, actually. He was quite pathetic. In fact, he challenged God to show him sign after sign after sign. But God was saying to him, listen, I'm with you. Therefore, you are a giant killer. And this morning, I believe that God has called his people to be giant killers. You know, in Levin, we've got giants in the land. Do you know that? Do you know that Levin has the second highest instance of domestic violence in the whole of New Zealand? That's a giant. We have the third worst polluted lake. It's beautiful. Lake Horofenua, beautiful. It is the third worst polluted lake in the whole of New Zealand. That's a giant. Do you know that we have methamphetamine out of control? That's a giant. We have drugs and crime and teen suicide amongst, actually, Levin and the Horofenua has among the highest or worst stats in the whole of the nation. And when I was praying a while ago, God, why did you call us to go to Levin of all places? Levin was the place we drove through on the way somewhere else. (laughs) And now I'm understanding what the Holy Spirit's saying. He's saying is there are giants in the land. And God is wanting to raise up his people, not just my wife and I, Jan and I are wanting to serve God, but I'm realizing there's got to be some kind of giant killing instinct in us by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we may as well close up shop tomorrow and go home and just retire, which is what we went to live in to do. If you read all the stories of the great pioneers and the great heroes and heroines of the Bible, they didn't know it, but God was with them. And so they became giant killers. Do you know when babies are born, by the way, I hope you checked your baby. Did you notice anywhere on his body, back of his head, maybe on his plump little bottom, a little stamp saying, I'm born to be a giant killer? Did you notice that? No. We're not born with a stamp on us saying, born to be great. We're born just as we are. And then when God meets us, he interacts with us. He fills with his, us with his Holy Spirit. And because he's with us, We become whatever he says we are. You know, the Apostle Paul had this problem with the church. I'm going to read you a very well-known scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You know the scripture so well. And he's reminding the church that there's a war on. Now, my mother used to tell me during the war, back in the UK, when there was a blitz. You know what a blitz is? When they were bombing, the Luftwaffe were bombing Britain, and we lived... And my mother lived in a shipbuilding area, so all of that river area was bombed. And they had had these blackout curtains, and they'd black out the windows so that no light would show, so that the German bombers wouldn't be able to see where the cities and towns were. And there was this guy, he was the air raid warden, and he was a grumpy old thing. And he would walk around the streets at night in the dark, And if he saw a little shaft of light coming out of the curtains where the blackouts hadn't been closed, he would bang on the door and shout, don't you know there's a war on? And actually, if you didn't fix it, you'd get fined. Isn't that terrible? But you see, the thing was, 
if you didn't fix that problem, the enemy would see you and bomb your house. <laughs> and friends, we've got to understand there's a war on. So the Apostle Paul writes to this church and he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's worth an amen. Come on. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's telling a truth here. You may not understand this. We can't actually physically see it, but it's there. Therefore, he says, take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, by the way, it's here. When the day of evil comes, we've just been listening to some of the things we've got to deal with in our communities. Our government needs guidance from heaven. They've lost the plot. The evil day has come. So when the evil day comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. Now, I want you to understand what I'm going this morning. Because I want to talk about being a giant killer. And you might, uh, please, can I just ask you, don't just disregard that because you don't think you're a giant killer. Just listen to me, okay? (laughs) Hallelujah. Our enemy is an unseen enemy. He's a spiritual being. His MO is to kill and steal and to destroy. You don't need to have, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to see what he's doing. Doubt, unbelief, fear, distress, sickness, disease, anxiety of all kinds. Oh my goodness, it's all around us. But Jesus declares in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, I have come to give life in its fullness. And when Jesus comes, he takes care of all of that stuff. Let me try it over here. When Jesus comes, he takes care of all of that stuff. Help me out here. First Peter 5, 5 verse 8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now it says like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's a toothless tiger. <laughs> Jesus has removed his claws and his teeth, so he's just like a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise. He whispers in your ear. Sometimes he shouts in your ear. But he's actually seeking to pull down, kill, and to destroy And you and I have to understand, friends, the church in this day, in this age, we could be the end-time generation. My goodness me, if we are, we better get our act together and understand there's a war on. God's wanting by the Holy Spirit to draw out the giant killer in you. Somebody once said, if there's a giant in your life, God must have put a David inside of you. If there's a mountain to climb, God must have put a Moses inside of you to climb that mountain. If there's land... To be captured, maybe God's put a Joshua and a Caleb inside of you. That's why it's there. Oh, I believe God lets things happen to us to strengthen us. He teaches our hands to battle, doesn't he? The Bible says it's God who actually teaches us how to bend that bow of bronze. He's training us for the big one. (laughs) Oh, you mean you're just going to sit here until Jesus comes and watch Christian TV? Is that what it means? No. No, there's a battle on. We're called to overcome and we're called to victory. We're called to speak to mountains, navigate the valley floors. We're called to be 
giant killers. Now, I want to give you four marks of a giant killer. I'm going to move through this very quickly. Just hang in with me, all right? I haven't got scriptures on there, but I will give you the scripture for the sake of the recording. I want to look at two stories in the Bible where actual giants figure in the story. Of course, the obvious one and probably the most, uh, well, there's two really. One is uh, when the people were about to go into the promised land. It's in, in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. And you know the story how 12 spies were sent into the promised land. Here's Israel about to have their own place their own piece of land, their own identity, finally reached the point where they're going to become God's own special people. Well, they were always God's own special people, but something about owning their own place was so important. And so the 12 spies go out. You know the story, don't you? Ten of them come back and said, well, oh, my goodness me, it's great, that place. But Numbers 13:30, Caleb silenced the grumbling of the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Why did he say that? Because he knew God was with them. He had a mighty warrior inside of him. He was a giant killer actually, both of them, Joshua and Caleb. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Any tall people in this church? I've got two of my leaders who are six foot four. You imagine how that makes me feel. I feel so intimidated when they stand up next to me. We saw the Nephilim there, the sons of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Numbers 14 verse 1, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Oh, the great promise that they'd been so looking forward to. They thought they were just going to walk into it and say, thank you, Jesus. But they realized there was a war ahead of them. They had to take take a stand and fight the enemies that occupied the land. Anybody been there? All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Sorry, Jaden. Shouting too loud. They even said we should choose a leader and go back. I'll tell you what, leaders don't go back. What a stupid thing to say. Let's find a leader who'll take us back to slavery. What? What sort of a leader would say, I'll do it. That's not a leader. You know, when you're facing enemies, you've got one of two choices. You push into God and get hold of God's grace and strength. Or you just give up right on the spot. There's no in-between, no compromise, no negotiation. See, God had a plan to give them their own place. You know, I believe I'm saying this right now. I feel the Lord's, God's got a plan to give you your own place. I'm just aware of a few things that you've got coming down the line. And I'm feeling by the Holy Spirit that God's saying, you know, I I understand those plans, but you're going to have to get ready for a bit of a confrontation. Oh, it may not be in the natural, but I want to tell you, all hell might be against you, but all heaven is for us. Amen? Please note the emphasis of these guys. It was all about themselves. We can't do it. 
They talked about their weaknesses, their problems, their inadequacies, inadequacies, their worries and their fears, how they saw things. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who'd explored the land. They tore their clothes. And they said, listen, God is with us. We can do this. In fact, we should do this. Can I ask you this morning, you don't have to answer, what giants are you facing? Maybe you've already on the road to giving up. Maybe you've decided, oh, this is just getting too hard. I've battled away and I'm, I'm running out of steam. I want to encourage you this morning, hang on, because God wants to call the giant of the Holy Spirit who's living inside of you to go to battle with you, not for you, with you, and take authority over these issues and get that breakthrough that you long for. Don't give up. Don't give up. And you know, Joshua and Caleb, they emphasized the Lord, what he would do. He will give us the land. Don't be afraid. He is with us. How he would do it, his protection, his generosity, his presence, his authority and power, God's faithfulness and God's perspective. Now please come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8, another story about a giant, probably the most well-known giant in history. His name was Goliath. Here he is. I think he was eight meters, uh, eight feet tall, sorry. I haven't come to my teaching points yet. I must move through this. It's just my introduction. David was up tending his sheep. He decides to bring some food to his brothers who were sitting on the battle line. And there was Goliath. He'd been harassing and taunting the armies of God. And um, even Saul, the king, and the people were afraid. And so in 1 Samuel 17, verse 10, here's the Goliath. Here's the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man to fight. I mean, it can't get any clearer than that. Give me somebody for, I'm going to fight. I want to fight. Ever met people like that? Oh my goodness, some of them are in the church. No, not in this church, no. But there's some people who just got that, I just want to disagree with everything on principle. And on hearing the words of the Philistines, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 26, David asked the man who was standing with him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Listen to the language. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What an attitude. He's a giant killer. Actually, he's been practicing. I'll come back to that. Two stories about two actual giants. Let me give you four signs, that, and there's more than four, four marks of a giant killer. Number one, and I believe that uh, I was going to talk about commitment, but I believe consecration is a stronger word. You know, commitment's great. I love, isn't it great to be around committed people? You know, the church uses this word a lot. Commitment. You've got to have commitment. Amen. It's true. I'd rather have committed people than people who aren't commitment. But you know, there's something about consecration 
that takes it just another step, just takes it to another level. Commitment is a great quality, being blessed over the years by committed people. Yet I find that the word consecration or devotion describes these giant killers more accurately. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says these words, listen to this. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted or consecrated to him. God's looking for devoted people. Or he'll embrace you and say, come on in. I can see that you're committed. You see, you can't live your life without commitment. But I tell you what, when you say, I'm going to be devoted to something bigger than me. I'm going to give my life and my heart to something that is, that is not just for me. I can be committed to my family, my life, my hobbies, my surfing, whatever it is. When I heard you say that you're going to give your surfboards to Jesus, that's consecration, brother, right there. <laughs> you see, the thing is, people who understand devotion and consecration just have that X factor. Oh, when we started our church uh, 18 months ago, there was some folk who said, well, count us in, we're in, man, this is going to be so exciting. A few months later, they were gone. (laughs) Consecration will take you further, keep you there longer. (laughs) Consecration makes you put your stake in the ground and uh, hammer it in deep so it won't move. Consecration and devotion to what God is wanting will actually make you steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. By the way, I'm not decrying commitment. That's really important. Consecration and devotion comes from commitment. It's just an extra kind of level. You can say amen if you wish. See, David and Caleb and Joshua carried the characteristic of being consecrated or set apart for God. They understood that what they were facing was a holy thing. This wasn't just a job to do. They were doing a kingdom thing. Actually, they realized both of these two men or three men altogether, they realized that what they were embarking upon had heaven all over it, destiny all over it, purposes of God all over it. And they needed to understand this wasn't just going to be a short-term thing. This was life or death. This was it. Commitment may say, well, I'm doing this for me or for my family or for my career. And you know, God can bless that and God does bless that. I love to see people doing well and whatever they put their hand to. Oh, we need to teach our young people commitment. so important. But I want to tell you something. Consecration says, this is not for me. This is not for my glory, for someone to slap me on the back and say how well you have done consecration says this is for God himself for his eternal glory I'm going to beat this giant down whatever it is because there are eternal consequences that could affect many other people and consecration to God can provoke us to greater action and greater victories and actually releases greater resources to us by the Holy Spirit Goliath had been mocking the whole army of Israel for 40 days, challenging them, mocking them, humiliating them. When David looked at Goliath, his consecration and devotion to God was immediately provoked. Who is this that he should defy the armies of my God? Have you ever been provoked like that before? 
When I watch what's happening with some of the laws of our land, something inside of me rises up. How dare they do this with the precious laws of God? You know, this nation is fast losing the whole concept of the sanctity of life. Because some guy in has been elected and is making decisions. You know, I, I'm sorry to put this in. This is not a political speech. Some recent surveys show that nearly 70% of the nation do not want the changes to the law. Is there something inside of us that rises up to go to war on this? <laughs> I don't mean go down to parliament and shout, and sh- but pray. Come on. We're in a battle. There's a war on. Can we pray fervently in the Holy Spirit that God would bring a halt to this dis- the shame. He says to Goliath in First Samuel 17, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he tells them what he's going to do with them and he goes ahead and does it. Here's a young man who understood the power of a consecrated life, set apart for God, sanctified. He sees the moment as a sacred moment. This is a God moment, a Kronos thing. In the timing of God, he happens to be the person standing in God's crosshairs. But he's been practicing. Can I ask you, are you practicing? The challenges that come, the doubts that come, the fears that come, the crises that come, all the stuff that didn't quite work out the way you wanted it. How did you handle it? Did you just practice being a giant killer? Maybe you lost that battle, but God saw how you handled it. He's very redemptive. And he wants you to learn in every circumstance of life all the disappointments and the discouragements. But he's watching how we handle it because there's a big battle coming up, maybe for you, maybe for the church, maybe for some other situation. He's getting you ready for the big one. I'm telling you the truth. I'm your friend. (laughs) When Caleb and Joshua saw the descendants of Anak, the giants... Their holy zeal for the destiny of God's people was stirred. They were consecrated to God. It wasn't just about them saying, we can do it. I mean, listen to Caleb. He waited 45 years because of the disobedience of the people. And at the end of 45 years, he said, I'm still ready to take on the giants. It's in the Bible. But their zeal for the people of God and the destiny of the people to be in the land that God had promised them was so strong, they just didn't listen to anybody. We should go up and take possession of it. Nothing can stop us. Let me give you another mark of a giant killer. Giant killers are connected to God in a bond of consecration that does not allow room for negotiation. Read the Bible. It's right through Old and New Testament history. There are some people who understand when they've heard from God and know that God is with them that what comes out of their mouth has to line up with the consecration of their heart. (laughs) Oh, we have to confess our sins. and Yes, we stumble and fall and God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But friends, there's a confession, there's a proclamation, there's a declaration that comes from the heart. Listen to these guys, Numbers 38. He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. They understand something out of that devotion to God. They've got alongside God, and God is telling them, I'm with you. And so they're saying, okay, let's go. And so what came out of the mouth lined up with heaven? You know, when you agree with heaven, anything can happen. 
The whole of life I've understood I'm getting on now. I'm getting old. (laughs) What I've learned is this. If I can agree with God, everything's changed. Everything changes. Everything changes. I don't understand what he does sometimes, but if I agree with him, then I know he's with me and therefore I'm a mighty warrior. Oh no, I don't look like a mighty warrior. You should see me in the morning when I'm looking in the mirror. I don't look like a mighty warrior. But in God, I'm a mighty warrior. You know, the Bible says, I think it's in Isaiah 42, I believe it is. The Lord marches out like a, like a, like a mighty warrior. He raises a shout. That's my God. See, this is, David understood this. Caleb, Joshua understood this. They saw the same giants. David's confession was also the same. You know, some scholars reckon that David was about 16 to 20 years of age, very young. Your age, Kate. Young man. And as he comes out to face the giant Goliath, who was towering above him, his staff was like a weaver's beam, that Bible says. Experienced warrior. The whole army of Israel was retreating in fear because they knew or they thought David was going to get killed and then he would be attacked. So they were, they were kind of watching, ready to run. But because David was consecrated, his confession was, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Romans chapter 8 and 35, he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? He's going down the list. He's he's thinking of everything he can think of. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And by the way, they were under severe persecution. That was a truth statement right there. No, he said, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who have loved us. This is, a con- this is a proclamation. This is a confession coming out of the heart of the Apostle Paul. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor in- angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, have I missed anything, he's saying, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What a confession. No doubts. No fears, no problems, no worries. I was smiling last week, you know, when the old blacks got defeated and Sir Graham came on and said, don't panic, everybody. <laughs> My goodness me. Don't panic, folks. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Don't panic. Jesus said on one occasion, Matthew twelve thirty four, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, whatever is ascendant within us, whatever dominates our thinking, whatever will unavoidably and inevitably flow out of our mouths in some form or another. Just listen to people. (laughs) I've been around a long time. I've heard it. I've heard, oh, yeah, great. And then next minute, oh, God wants to help us out this morning. Whatever is dominant and ruling within us will find expression in our hearts and in our mouths. Let me move on quickly. David, the psalmist, was always praising and worshipping God. That's what he was. He was a worshipper. And um, who was that man? Mark? I watched you this morning. 
Do you know the greatest warrior in the Bible, apart from Jesus, played strings? Do you know that? His name was David. He played the harp. And when I was watching you this morning, uh, you know, there's a story in the Bible about King Saul. King Saul had yielded part of his life to the enemy, and this demonic thing would come over him. It was murderous. And he tried to kill David, but David would pick up his harp, and he'd play, and the demon would leave. And I felt when I was watching you this morning that the Holy Spirit, you're very skilled. I watched you, man, you can play that thing. But actually, there's, there's, another, there's another dimension it's called the anointing of the Holy Spirit that God wants to put on you so that, well, oh, I feel this. Father, I pray that for this man. I pray for the anointing of God to be upon him, Jesus. I believe the Lord's going to teach you how to carry anointing so that in the moments when it's a God moment and God wants to break free and break loose and touch lives and transform things, there'll be something come upon you. It's not in the skill of your playing because you have that well-practiced, well-rehearsed. And it's not even in the notes or the sound. It's something from heaven that comes. And it's an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And it breaks barriers and sets captives free. And I believe the Lord wants you to understand, when you, when you, when you feel it, you'll know it. And God's saying, you protect that thing. Because it's precious. It's got the power to transform life. See, David was like that, mighty warrior. Mark, the Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. So, Father, I thank you. Lord, I, I thank you for David. Mighty warrior. What a mighty warrior he was. He spent all those hours playing his harp and singing to the sheep. So he understood what comes out of his mouth, came out of that private place, that secret place. Amen. That's worth an amen right there. Come on. Amen. Let me move on quickly. There's a third thing that you want to see. We want to see... And it's, uh, we've done confession, right, okay. Courage. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, above all, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? He's making a point, right? You get the point. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord God, God is with you wherever you go. Courage may not necessarily be the absence of fear. Courage is standing in God even when you're afraid. Little Johnny wouldn't sit down in church. How many people have had kids who won't sit down in church? His mother said, Johnny, sit down. Johnny wouldn't sit down. Johnny, please sit down. But he refused to sit down. Finally, she pushed him down into a seat and said, you will sit down. And little Johnny sat there with her hand on his head. And finally, he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> God's looking for that. Men, you're down, but not out. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, we all, we all grumble and grizzle. You know, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to end up a miserable old man, you know, grumpy old man, you know. My wife keeps me young. No response to that at all, okay. <laughs> we won't go there. Listen, friends, you know, there are times when we weep and cry, but God's not actually impressed with cry babies. You know, cry babies, <laughs> We will cry when we've been discouraged or because we've been betrayed or stuff happens and our hearts have been broken and hurt and we weep and we cry. But God has called us to come out of our brokenness and stand firm in the things of God. He wants us to rise out of our brokenness. 
looking for some giant killers who will take a stand. Giant killers develop courage. It's an invisible thing. It, 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 come, it, it becomes visible when the pressure's on. That's when you see the courage. Everybody looks quite normal. But story after story could be told of ordinary people who showed extraordinary courage in the moment when it counted. Can I encourage you this morning? David practiced on the lion and the bear. Can I just ask you again, what are you practicing on? What's the lion and the bear? There's a giant maybe coming down the line, but if, you've, if you haven't done the practice and honed your skill with the lion and the bear, when Goliath comes, you might just, not, you might just join the rest who are running away. We need courage. David, the Bible says, encouraged himself. He revisited his lack of courage and, and encouraged himself in the Lord. The early church understood this. They were ostracized. They were persecuted, put in jail. My goodness me, some of the stuff that happened, we don't have time to go through it. Actually, the book of Hebrews talks about some of the things that God's people went through. They, uh, in the great faith chapter, Hebrews eleven thirty three, through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who gained strength from weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Giant killers. And if you looked at any of those people standing in front of the mirror one Monday morning, you would think, (laughs) who's that? But in God. I won't read all of that. It's a good verse to read and contemplate on when you're feeling a bit down. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. You know, they lost a battle or two, and even his best friends were against him. Stuff was going wrong. David went through some stuff. He practiced. He had already slain the giant by this time, but here's another giant. The giant of rejection now comes to him from his own people. He didn't have a prophet to give him a word. He didn't have anybody to gather. Even his own friends were saying, man, what what are you doing, man? What's going on here? And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And sometimes we get to the wall and there's nobody there but you and God. And you're standing against the wall and you've only got God. Can I encourage you to press into God? Amen? Oh, we need to know how to encourage ourselves. You know, just a few days after that moment, he was sitting on the throne of Israel. You don't know how close we are to a victory. (laughs) One minute he's down in the dumps encouraging himself and the Lord with nobody around him. Next minute he's on the throne. (laughs) All right, let me get through this. There are many things, but I wanted to put this one in. Conquest. Giant killers have something burning within their hearts. We call it conquest. In the portion of Scripture we've been reading from Numbers 13, you know, we read about the initial... Reaction of Caleb and Joshua, they waited 45 years, and I've already talked about Caleb, 45 years later. He watched all his friends dying off in the wilderness. Never lost the conquest. He had in his heart, it wasn't the giants. He wasn't focused on giants. He was focused on entering the land. That's what was in his heart. I want to be in the land that God promised before I die. The giants were just a kind of a problem on the way. And listen to these words. Today I'm 85 years old, he says to Joshua. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me. How long have you been carrying your dream? (sighs) 45 years? If you haven't done 45 years yet, stop grumbling. (laughs) 
gave me this whole cup. And so God blessed him and gave him. And actually, he went and read the scriptures. He went in and conquered the giants, and entered the land, possessed the land. Oh, I, you know, I really believe there's something in that whole thought there for this church. Just as vigorous to God as I was that. Hang on, 10 years go by in the wilderness, 20 years, 40 years, 45 years. People are laughing at him. Oh, for goodness sake, Caleb, give it up, will you? I'm sick of hearing about this promised land. Why don't you just shut up and die? But he wouldn't shut up and die. He stayed alive for the sake of possessing the land because that was the thing that was keeping him alive. It was the conquest in his heart. When the early church hit the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, they had conquest in their hearts. This kingdom conquest, is a, we could spend a lot of time on it, we haven't got time. The thing is, they had this thing burning in their hearts about actually the transformation of towns and cities and nations and actually the transformation of the whole world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Have you got that? In your heart, I want to tell you, friends, if you get conquest in our hearts, something will happen to us, and we will keep on going and keep on going. I love when it talked about David, when when a a lion or a a bear stole a sheep, it says he went after it. He chased after the lion, caught it by its hair, and killed it. (laughs) Anybody here like to go into the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen from us? Come on. It's time the church should rise up and get a hold of our inheritance and the legacy that has been passed on to you, Aspire Church. See, we're in Aspire and Levin. Levin's a difficult town, but I know God is saying something to us about his heart. See, God, I know God. If I was to say, God, what would you really like to do in Levin? Well, God would say, I'd like to change the stats straight away. I'd like to change the statistics. I agree, Lord. And so he says, I'm with you, my warrior. <laughs> Who, me? You can't avoid this, folks. Stop hiding a Saul, King Saul. It says he was hiding in the baggage, you know, hiding in the luggage when he was being called for to be anointed. So many people, God's hiding in the baggage of their lives. <laughs> not me, please don't send me. The church is not called to inactivity and non-participation. The church is called to conquest Stories we looked at today were history-changing, life-changing, nation-changing stories. Actually, they were just ordinary people, but because God was with them, God said, Mighty warrior. I'll give you my favorite verses. I bring this to a close, and the worship team would like to come and begin to play. That would be great. Ephesians 3.20, I love this verse, I've, it's written on my brain, I've quoted it so many times, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask, or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in his church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He's talking about you and me. Let me read you this verse of scripture from the Passion Version, I like a Passion Version. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all his, all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifest 
through him in time and in eternity. What a tremendous promise. That's my God. It's your God. It's your God. When I was praying today, last week, I asked the Lord for a word for the church for you. And God reminded me of Isaiah 54. And I was telling Jan about it. And as I was telling her, the anointing of God came upon me. Isaiah 54 says this, Enlarge the place of your tent. Okay, guys, can stand here? Enlarge the place of your tent. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. And do not hold back, says the Lord. And at the end of that portion of Scripture, it ends with, And every tongue that rises against you, you can negate it. And you will negate it. You know, whenever you do something for God and you make a step out for God, the enemy's all got got all these little minions running around with words of accusation, negative words, critical words. The Bible says, negate them in the name of Jesus and do not hold back and strengthen your stakes, lengthen your cords, get ready for a season of, of enlargement in God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray today. I pray today, Lord, for your servants they will know a fresh revelation that God you are the one who goes out like a mighty warrior march out like a mighty warrior God says to you both the Lord I am with you mighty warriors mighty warriors why don't we all stand turn to the person next to you give them a high five and say God is with you mighty warrior come on in fact why don't you find find two or three people Move around, find two or three people, tell them, tell them, go on, move around a bit. God is with you, mighty warrior. God is with you, mighty warrior. Amen. Now, Lord, I pray. Your word says it is God who trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze things that we didn't think we could do we can actually do because God is with us we're only mighty warriors because he's with us so Father I pray today for a strength and a tenacity and a a deliberate intentional courage to go forward never backwards into your purposes in Jesus name Amen Amen Thanks for listening more information about Aspire Church, find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, or check out our website, aspirechurch.org.nz. We'd love to see you on Sundays, 10am, 101 Hardy Street, Nelson.